Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Uh, today, I'm going to fill you in again on one of my favorite parts of the loop. We did this uh, segment similar to this a few weeks ago on the Hudson River. And now a lot of this year's fleet of loopers is approaching the Thousand Islands region, um, which for some is actually a little bit of a side trip that's slightly out of the way, but I highly recommend you take the time to do this. So Karen Nettles from the Homeport crew will be back with us to kind of ask some of the questions on everyone's mind about the Thousand Islands. Before we jump into that with Karen, I wanna take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Great Loop Yacht Sales, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Karen Nettles, Homeport Crew, thank you for joining us again. Oh, you're quite welcome. Always enjoy doing the podcast with you. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, one of the, the nice parts about the Loop is that it's somewhat seasonal. So we can kind of predict where a lot of our current fleet are headed this time of year. So we can put some content out that's helpful for them. But this can also help inspire some of those who are still considering the Loop. So I wanted to, to this week talk about one of my favorite areas, and that's the Thousand Islands. Okay, well, why don't we just dive right in and why don't you start with an overview of the area? Yeah, so the Thousand Islands is really kind of at the mouth of the St. Lawrence River where it meets Lake Ontario. So it is an area that straddles the U.S.-Canadian border and it is um, literally where part of the Canadian shield is kind of through the surface of the water. So there's lots of little islands. Um, some of the islands are really not much more than a rock with a couple of trees sticking out of the water. Some have a single home on them. Um, which is really spectacular, a kind of a, a, a dream of mine to have a home that's only accessible by boat. It just uh, seems just kind of like that, that quaint summertime cottage. Of course, this area is, is uh, a little bit more desolate in the winter, um, but crystal clear water, uh, just beautiful cruising grounds, and there's a lot to see and do. Well, that's good, and I know we'll get into more specifics, but um, where are loopers on the route when they make the decision on whether to visit this area? Yeah, so most, as I said, this is kind of um, right along Lake Ontario, also kind of along the St. Lawrence River. So if loopers are coming through Lake Ontario, um, if they've come, this would be people who took the Erie Canal to the Oswego Canal, that puts you out into Lake Ontario. So there's an option just to kind of shoot across the lake and go right into Trenton, which is the start of the Trent Severn Canal. Um, a lot of loopers won't go straight across. They'll go a little bit more northeast and kind of head directly into Kingston. But with this option, you can kind of hug the southern shore of Lake Ontario and head into the St. Lawrence River. If you're coming from the Lake Champlain route, so those who didn't go into the Erie Canal but went straight up through the Champlain Canal and into the Richelieu River, they arrive on the St. Lawrence River um, at Sorrel is where they're kind of coming out onto the St. Lawrence River. So for them, they're going upriver towards Lake Ontario to hit this area. Um, so this is so many choices on how you're going to take the loop route through this area. If you are um, listening to this, that's probably a little bit hard to envision. If you're watching this, I'm going to go ahead and put links in the description um, for all 
of the content providers for this. So regardless of where you're listening or watching, I'll put links to some of the additional resources for this so you can get a better idea of what we're talking about. Um, but for us, um, our boat, the, our overhead clearance, we could not clear the bridges on the Lake Champlain route without taking some things down. So we chose the Erie Canal to the Oswego and then uh, Oswego put us out onto Lake Ontario and we headed for the Thousand Islands because it was absolutely on kind of my must see um, list. A few years ago when we were through this area, we actually went straight across Lake Ontario into the Murray Canal, which takes you directly to Trenton. So we kind of missed this. So I was pretty eager to go back and spend some time in the Thousand Islands. Okay, well, what was the first tip? What would be the first typical stop based on the route that you chose? Yes, so a lot of loopers, uh, the first stop would be um, St. Vincent. And this is one of those, um, depending on how long you're planning to take to do the loop, you can't hit every town. So it's a reason to go around twice. It's one of the reasons some loopers are now kind of spending one summer season um, on the Great Lakes and then storing the boat in that area, coming back the next year to spend a second summer season. Um, for us, that wasn't in the cards. We were doing the loop in a year. So um, we had to kind of pick and choose. But St. Vin Vincent's is a great stop, a very walkable town. We unfortunately kind of passed over St. Vincent's um, and went directly into Clayton. Okay. And speaking of Clayton, I know that was one of your favorite stops. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Clayton and why it was one of your favorites? Yeah, Clayton really surprised me because it was a place that I, you know, I have been um, involved with AGLCA for over 10 years now. And Clayton was a place that I really didn't hear a lot of buzz about. You know, there's other places like Charlevoix or, um, uh, you know, everybody's got a favorite, but Clayton was never something that I kept hearing about from people. And when I kind of was, was telling some gold looper friends that were headed for Clayton, then they would start to say, oh, I loved Clayton. But it was, wasn't something that I was generally hearing a lot about. So um, Clayton was really just one of my favorite places um, for so many reasons. But, you know, there's a lot to see and do. There's a lot of great places to eat and we like to eat. Um, great marina, um, beautiful weather, uh, beautiful sunsets, um, which is something that I didn't really expect on the Great Lakes, but uh, I don't know why. <laughs> but when you think of that gorgeous, colorful, tropical sunset, you think of the islands um, and you think of the Keys. Uh, but there in Clayton, it was absolutely stunning. Okay. Well, what about Alexandria Bay? What will loopers find there? So Ale Alexandria Bay is kind of a good next stop after Clayton. They're pretty close together. So. Um, you know, I guess maybe before we go on to Alexandria Bay, I probably should uh, fill you in a little bit more on some of the things maybe to see and do in Clayton, because that's where we spent more time. So <laughs> let me back up a second. Um, when you asked about Clayton, um, first of all, the marina is absolutely top notch. Uh, the Clayton Municipal Harbor is an AGLCA sponsor, and the staff was phenomenal, friendly, helpful, beautiful marina. Um, docks in great condition. And one of the things I remember uh, was really stunning to me was the clarity of the water there. And being from Charleston, where we have a lot of the runoff that comes, the, the water's a little bit, um, it looks almost muddy. Uh, and you see that kind of all the way up the East Coast, crystal clear water in Clayton. And it's kind of the first time I remember seeing that on the Great Lakes. And you'll see that through most of the Great Lakes. But looking down from the dock, you could see the growth underneath. And I took pictures of it because it was just amazing to me that you could see that clarity in the water. From the marina, the town is completely walkable. There are plenty of places to eat. One of our favorites was Bella's. It is right along the waterfront. We went for breakfast. 
They have a huge outdoor seating area. Uh, we were there a kind of July 1st through July 4th was the kind of the, the time frame we were in this area. So obviously the time of the year plays a big factor in the weather, but beautiful, beautiful weather. Um, another great place to eat. Um, there is a great burgers, gourmet burgers with all kinds of different toppings, uh, kind of an upscale burger place. And um, it's called Hop Spot. And it is an outdoor area in a bed and breakfast that the house itself is, is stunning. But the waterfront there in Clayton is also something to see. They've got beautiful rainbow colored Adirondack chairs. There was a tall ship there visiting the time frame we were there. So you can walk through that water. There's plenty of ice cream shops. There are huge amounts of quaint little shops. So if, if shopping is your thing, definitely stroll the streets of Clayton. Um, there is a jewelry store called the Golden Cleat that specializes in a lot of nautical jewelry. And they also sell baseball caps. And I know that because as we continued the loop, we would occasionally see other loopers wearing a baseball cap with just a cleat on it. And those came from the Golden Cleat. So it's really kind of a nice place for those of us who are living aboard a boat and cruising to pick up a few things. There is an Ace Hardware store that is really kind of your old fashioned department store kind of place that has pretty much anything you could possibly want. And there are plenty of little shops with local artists and things like that that you can peruse. Uh, another favorite was the Riverette's Cheese Store. They make the cheese fresh there so you can get cheese curds or fresh cheese and they kind of have everything you could possibly want for a docktail snack to bring along to one of the docktails get-togethers on the loop. So those are a few of the things we really enjoyed in Clayton. But one of the things absolutely not to be missed in Clayton is their antique boat museum. It is one of the best museums, uh, boat-wise particularly, on the loop. And it is just building after building of beautiful wooden antique boats, different displays that rotate in and out. So there were some about, at the time we were there, there were some about Great Lakes shipwrecks, there were some about actually how they built wooden boats back in the day. So don't miss the Wooden Boat Museum. It's, it's walkable from the marina and it's, it's just really a beautiful thing to see. The other thing to mention, if you are planning on having guests come visit, this is a great place to do it. If there are more guests than your boat can accommodate, there is a hotel adjacent to the marina that is connected by walkways to the marina, to the waterfront, to the main streets through town and all the little shops. Uh, the only challenge is there's not too many uh, major airports too nearby. So transportation without a car to get to Clayton or to leave Clayton can be a little bit challenging, but it's a beautiful place to visit and a great vacation spot if you've got some people who want to come visit you on the loop. It does sound interesting. So I know people look forward to, to stopping in that town. And we did previously mention that Alexandria Bay was the next town. So do you want to tell yeah. us what loopers can expect there? So Clayton is quaint and quiet. Alexandria Bay is a stop. We did not st stop directly in Alex Bay, sometimes called A Bay. And this kind of path we're telling you about right now is, is following the U.S. side of the Thousand Islands. So at this point, we have not checked into Canada. But uh, rather than go into Alexandria Bay, we chose to go into Wellesley Island and the um, Wellesley Island Yacht Club is where we tied up. Great facility. The reason we didn't go to A Bay, some of the marinas were a little bit pricey. And again, this was 4th of July weekend. 
and Alexandria Bay is kind of known as the party place. It gets a little bit crowded from what I'm told. Again, we didn't visit there, but it is a great stop. Um, we have a harbor guide in our library for members that'll tell you a lot more about Alexandria Bay if that's where you prefer. Um, from the Thousand Islands Club is where we tied up on Wellesley Island. There is a lovely dining room there. You have access to the pool. And uh, it was just kind of a little bit more of a quiet stop that we enjoyed. There were several other loopers there as well. But Alexandria Bay is known as the party town. So if that's your thing, you probably want to go towards that side. But even Wellesley Island and the Thousand Islands Yacht Club are on the U.S. side of the border. Okay. Um, and let's talk about Bolt Castle. Was that there at Wellesley Island or there in the area? It is. So the Thousand Islands was known right around the 19, right around 1900 was kind of the playground of the rich and famous. A lot of the wealthy New York socialites would vacation and summer in the Thousand Islands area. So there are some exquisite mansions in the area. And one of those is Bolt Castle, but Bolt Castle has a very interesting backstory. Um, it was built by a gentleman named George Bolt on Hart Island, and he was building it as a gift for his wife. The whole uh, island, the whole mansion is just kind of a tribute to his love for her. And when she unexpectedly died before it was completed, and Mr. Bolt just abruptly stopped construction before the mansion was finished and just let it sit there dilapidating for uh, about 100 years almost. Um, and it was eventually purchased and with the uh, intent to finish it and preserve it for the future. Um, so it has now been restored. The first two floors have been finished and thankfully uh, George Bolt left some very detailed plans about what he envisioned it looking like. So the first two floors are finished the way he intended them to be the, and, and they're stunning. But the third floor and the, the area kind of under the roof eaves on the fourth floor have not been finished yet. The intention is to finish it, but I was actually kind of glad that we visited before that happened because you could see what this looked like when it was uh, found, when it was essentially bought and started to be restored. Uh, graffiti on the walls, walls that were just crumbling and falling apart. Uh, the difference between the first and second floor and the third floor is just very stark and it just shows what an amazing job they've done to bring this up to where it was intended to be. So it was kind of nice to see that dichotomy. There is um, an audio walking tour that you, it's an app you download to your smartphone and you can listen to as you're walking through the different rooms of the house and the grounds um, and just really a, a beautiful tour, an amazing house. And uh, we actually, you can tie up your own boat there at the dock at Hart Island to tour Bolt Castle. We were a little bit concerned, uh, we're in a 41 footer, it being a holiday weekend, if there would be enough room at that dock for our boat, you can dingy over to it as well. Um, we chose from Wellesley Island, that is actually where the boathouse for Bolt Castle is. You can tour the boathouse and that in and of itself is something worth seeing. But from the marina there on Wellesley Island to the boathouse, is uh, a, a little bit of a longish walk, but if you have a bike or a scooter, you can go that way. Uh, but we chose to go down to the boathouse and then they have the regular shuttle tour boat that can take you over to Bolt Castle. So super easy and convenient to do it that way, but you can also tie up your boat um, or dinghy over to it. So that's kind of 
one way to get there and that's how we did it but there are also shuttle boats from alexandria bay and again you can dinghy so for for us boaters it's pretty easily accessible to get over to bolt castle and i i highly recommend it as a stop um, let's take a quick break and play a message from our sponsors um, when we come back i'll tell you about my other favorite castle in the thousand islands so we'll be back in a moment Prop Talk is an Annapolis-based company founded in the summer of 2005 by active Chesapeake Bay boaters. The company produces Prop Talk Magazine, a monthly newsprint magazine focused on Chesapeake Bay power boating and the lifestyle surrounding boating on the bay. Every issue of Prop Talk is distributed at more than 850 carefully chosen and closely monitored locations throughout the Mid-Atlantic. Prop Talk's coverage goes deep rather than wide, and the magazine celebrates the people, places, boats, personalities, and events that make the Chesapeake one of the world's premier boating grounds. Thanks for reading and supporting the Chesapeake Bay's boating magazine. Winter Harbor Marina is located on the Oneida River, 1.5 miles west of Oneida Lake in Brewerton, New York, just minutes from Syracuse International Airport. Winter Harbor offers the lowest diesel fuel and gas prices from New York City to Canada. If you find a lower posted documented price, they will match it. Their amenities include complimentary courtesy vehicle, 24-hour pay-at-the-pump fueling, dockside water and cable TV, pristine bathrooms and showers, and emergency haul-out service. For more information, call 315-676-9276 or visit www.winterharborllc.com. Winter Harbor <clears throat> is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio today. Karen Nettles from the Homeport crew has joined me so uh, she can kind of lead me through some of the things people might be wondering about visiting the Thousand Islands, one of my favorite areas on the Great Loop. And I just kind of finished telling you about Bolt Castle and uh, the love story of the castle and it's as a gift from George Bolt to his wife. Um, but there's another castle there, Karen. Are we ready to go into that one? Right. Um, obviously, that was interesting uh, history that you gave on Bolt Castle, and but we do know that there's Singer Castle in the area. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that and whether it's worth visiting both castles? Yeah, um, I definitely recommend visiting both. They are very different, both very beautiful in their own ways. Um, Singer Castle is a little bit more downriver from Bolt Castle. And the big thing on, on Singer, Singer Island, um, sorry, Singer Castle is on Dark Island. So you have Heart Island and you have Dark Island. And um, some describe Singer Castle as the fairy tale. I'm sorry, some describe Bolt Castle and Heart Island as a fairy tale. Singer Castle almost looks like it belongs to the villain in the fairy tale. Not at all true. It was um, built by one of the people who uh, was a president of the Singer Sewing Machine Company. Um, Dark Island, just the name of it, gives it a little bit more of a myster mysterious feel. And the whole kind of uh, flavor of the castle is much different than Bolt Castle. Singer Castle has suits of armor and hidden passageways and you know tunnels and all kinds of uh, what could be described as nefarious little places to hide. In essence, these are places that were really there for the servants to kind of move through the castle without being seen. So that's really the reason for a lot of these passageways. There's things like um, in the dining room, there are pictures kind of where the ceiling and the, uh, and the walls meet, it's kind of angled. And if you look up at the pictures, they just look like normal pic 
but they have set it up so that they can show you this. they have a light switch and the light goes on behind the picture and you can see that the picture is actually kind of angled forward so that people could look from behind the picture down into the dining room um, and it seems like it's you know people are spying on you but it really was for the servants to check on how it was going and if anything was needed but it does have that mysterious feel uh, we arrived again you can tie up your own boat here um, again, holiday weekend, we were really not sure how crowded it might be, and this was the day that we were going to head over to the Canadian side, so we were kind of up and out early. We arrived at the dock about 15 minutes before the first tour boat would arrive there, um, but we were able to tie up. There was nobody else there yet. They allowed us to tie up, even though they weren't quite open yet, um, brought us into the gift shop, and the tour guides were ready, so they sent Michael and I off on our own tour with a tour guide, which was really kind of neat because, uh, obviously, small group um pretty intimate tour so she was able to show us some of those secret passageways and some of the, you know there's like a button in the fireplace that opens up a, a secret passageway um so different look and feel but also a really interesting tour um, and one of the things that fascinated me is they built this castle extraordinarily fast i don't remember exactly how long but when you see something of its size you would ex expect it to take years to complete not the case well, the reason for that is when George Boltz halted construction on his castle, Singer Castle just took all those workers and brought them over and they finished the, the Singer, Singer Castle extremely quickly because they had all these extra workers who had been laid off from Boltz Castle. So it's interesting how the two are intertwined in that way. Um, but both are a really, really nice tour. Uh, Singer Castle is led by a guide and Boltz Castle is led by an, an audio recording so a little bit different in that respect as well but both definitely worth seeing and i you know i really don't, i don't know if i've said enough about cruising this area is absolutely spectacular so moving from clayton to wellesley island one of the most beautiful days of cruising we had and then going on from wellesley island towards singer castle was also one of the absolutely beautiful days of cruising and you know we went around singer castle when we were finished with the tour and that put us over to the canadian side so a beautiful visit traveling up the U.S. side of the Thousand Islands and uh, highly recommended, obviously. <laughs> well, definitely great sightseeing things to take mm -hmm. advantage of when you're in that area. So you did mention going into Canada. At what point did you cross into Canada? So we crossed into Canada almost immediately after leaving um, Singer Castle. You don't actually have to report arrival and check in with uh immigration customs basically until you i'll call it touch ground on canadian soil so that's whether you are tying up at a marina or dropping an anchor as soon as you do that is when you should uh check in and the process for that you, you want me to go ahead and go through the, the basics of the process for that uh sure yeah so it is tradition to fly the uh courtesy flag it is the yellow flag um, I'm sorry, courtesy flag is the Canadian flag and you're going to fly that whenever you're in foreign waters, you want to fly the courtesy flag of that country. In addition, we get a lot of questions about the Q flag or the quarantine flag, which is the yellow flag. Um, is it mandatory and required? I don't think so. Is it customary and, you know, etiquette? Yes. So in, in my opinion, why not hoist the Q flag as well? And that is essentially to tell uh, the powers that be that you have not checked in yet so it's kind of indicating that you do intend to check in it's you know it's letting them know you are following their rules and then once you do officially check in 
then you take that Q flag down. So we, we suggest that you go ahead and do that. And then of course, fly the courtesy flag of Canada while you're there and show that respect and etiquette to the country you're visiting. Um, there, that, that's basically the process. When you, you call to check in from the dock that you tie up to or from the anchorage, they'll ask you a series of questions about what you have in, on board. Um, pretty simple to answer them. You'll of course need the boat's information, documentation, um, and passports for the people aboard, but that's a very simple process, and I think a lot of people get worried about that for some reason. It's no more challenging than crossing the border by car, so if you've ever done that, it's, it's a similar type of process. Okay, and once you get cleared into Canada, what are some of the popular stops on the Canadian side? So, Brockville is one, and we've got a harbor host in Brockville, so if you are headed that way, definitely reach out to him. Um, Gananoque is another, and we actually have a, a gold looper who uh, lives there and owns an ice cream store. Um, and sadly, we did not get to stop at either of those. This is another one of those with unlimited time. We would have stopped at every single one. Uh, but we pulled into Kingston, which is probably the last kind of city feel. It's not a big city, but that you'll see for quite a while. Um, so we stayed there for a few days, lots of restaurants. Uh, every kind of shopping you could possibly need, but there's a ton of history in Kingston as well. It was once the capital of Canada. Um, there's a fort there that you can tour. Um, there are lots of historic structures, including once was what was once the capital. Uh, so we, we enjoyed our stay in Kingston, very different feel from what I described in the Thousand Islands. And Kingston is a stop that most loopers will make, even if they've skipped the Thousand Islands. When they come off of Lake Ontario, they're usually headed for Kingston. So um, it's a pretty common looper stop. And the Confederation Basin Marina there is where we tied up, which was ideal location for seeing everything there is in Kingston. And how long did you stay there in Kingston before moving on? I think, I think it was two or three days. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, we, we stayed a little bit longer than originally inten intended because of some weather, uh, but there was still plenty to do. Uh, so Kingston's also a good stop, particularly if you want that historical perspective on the history in Canada. So it was really an interesting stop for us. Okay, and um, what's the next on the route once sloopers wrap up the Thousand Islands? Yeah, after Kingston, um, which is a little bit kind of off the Thousand Islands, they're gonna be headed for the Trent Severn, which is another highlight. So uh, this is, you know, this is kind of the tops for a lot of the people that are doing the Great Loop. These are, are some of the places that people are e eager to get to and some of the highlights of the Great Loop. I did wanna mention, um, you know, obviously navigating this area, you're dealing with rocks. Some of them are just below the surface. It is not too challenging to navigate as long as you follow your navigation information, stay in the channel. One thing about coming into Clayton I do want to mention is that Navionics tried to route us on the inside uh, past Carlton Island. Um, don't do that. <laughs> we were going that way. It started to get a little shallow. We pulled out some resources we had from locals and realized that the way to go around Carlton Island was really on the outside. Um, so you're going to want to take the island on your starboard side. Navion routed to take the island on our port side. Um, the water was a little bit shallow that way. There's a, a, some shoaling and kind of a shelf there. So uh, avoid that. Um, and, and that's other than that, it's not super challenging to navigate. It's just 
the if you happen to run aground it is much less forgiving than you'll see like in the southeast where it's a soft mucky bottom this is the canadian shield it's rock it's going to be that way for all the way through canada um so just keep an eye on your navigation and you should be fine okay and if people want more information about the thousand islands where can they go to get that yeah i have only scratched the surface and i've really given you a tourist's view of this um, from my perspective on our trip um, AGLCA has lots of resources for our members. So we have several harbor hosts in this area. And if you're not familiar with that program, a harbor host is uh, someone who is local, who is a member, who has volunteered to assist other members who are coming through their town. So they can give you navigation information. They can give you suggestions on what to see and do. Um, you know, in Clayton, we were struggling to figure out how to get Michael out to an airport because he had a trip he had to make. And a harbor host was helpful in figuring all of that out. So there are several in the area. Um, we met several while we were there and enjoyed our time with them. One of them has written a harbor guide and we've got about 50 harbor guides on our website that are written by our harbor hosts, which the advantage to that is they are locals. They know what there is to see and do. And the harbor, the harbor guide for the Thousand Islands in particular is one of the really good ones that um, our harbor host there wrote. It is about 20 pages, I believe, and it'll tell you all of the extra details about the places that we didn't get to go, like Alexandria Bay and some of the stops on the Canadian side. Uh, so definitely check that out if you are looking for more information. I also um, did one of our Great Loop Lifestyle videos about this area, and I'll put a link to that in the description. So you can see a little bit more and you can see pictures of the things that I've described today. And of course, we have the kind of um, Great Loop cruising info videos, which are flyover on Google Earth that shows you the route for each leg that we took. So um, I'll go ahead and put a link to the videos that show where we cruised, um, you know, from Clayton to um, Wellesley Island, and then from Wellesley Island around Singer Castle and down to Kingston, so that you can get a, a really better overview of what this area is like, and those should all be really helpful resources, but there's even more than that on the AGLCA website, so definitely take a look. And if you're not a member yet, we encourage you to consider joining us. These are the type of resources that are available to our members. Really helpful if you're still planning the loop because you can start to get a handle on, you know, the choices you have to make on which stops you're going to do. And if you're already on the loop, of course, um, this is a great way to kind of uh, get an overview of where you're about to head and, and some of the tips on things to look out for, both from a navigation perspective, but also from a what to see and do perspective. Well, I think we're about out of time, are we not? So I think that we wraps are. it up for today. Yep. Thank you for joining me again, Karen. And, you know, thanks uh, to those of you. Um, let us know in the comments, whatever platform you're watching or listening on, how you feel about this type of episode. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a travelogue, um, feels a little bit like what I did on my summer vacation. So um, if this is the kind of thing you're hoping to hear, let us know. If you prefer other types of topics, let us know that too, because we are always looking for good ideas for episodes for our podcast. We've been doing this podcast for, um, gosh, I think it's going on 10 years now. Um, so of course we repeat some of those previous episodes to keep the information up to date, but we're always looking for some fresh ideas. So if you have some, give us a shout out, let us know. And uh, Karen, thanks again for joining us. Quite welcome. And thanks to everyone who has watched and listened this week. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Great Loop Radio podcast. Until then, safe cruising. 